Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm finer than frog hair split four ways. I am good, buddy. Uh, I had a good time in your home state of Alabama last weekend. At Fanaticon there in Dothan, the folks are just great and met a lot of very interesting people, shall we say. Uh, and then, uh, Delta airlines had their hand in the game and like we had to drive from Dothan to Atlanta to catch our connecting flights, Rafael Morphy to New York city and me to OKC. But here we are. And, uh, it's also for me, the Oklahoma, Texas football weekend. And that's a big deal for me. I was just telling some guys on serious that I uh, went to my first OU Texas game uh, in 1971. And uh, the, the first three games I went to was the game before the game, the first game, and then the, 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 the year it really got good of Switzer running the wishbone. So uh, it, it changed the game a lot and it, it really balanced the field there. So I'll be down in Dallas on Saturday. You you see me, I get Howler. And uh, it should be fun down there. And, Going down Friday, coming back Saturday. So if you want to rob my house while I'm gone, you'll know I'll be gone Friday night. Well, all righty. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk about how we're going to uh, rob a few minutes of your time today. Of course, we're going to be talking about hell in a cell 2009. Hell in a cell is a very hot topic right now, Conrad. You're very clairvoyant. Yeah. Who knew that the hell in a cell was going to, uh, take a nice burnt orange dump on the sheets. For, uh, on pay-per-view a couple of, you know, here recently, uh, and people are talking, people are taking it personally, which I think is laughable, but nonetheless, they're taking it personally. It's one thing to disagree. It's another thing to have it become a, uh, a cause, you know, am I, am I, am I blowing this off too much? Is it, is it a bigger deal than I think the bad finish at where you have a, a, a disqualification, stop a hell in a cell match, which I would never one thing about it, I sure as hell didn't see it coming. Well, what was interesting is they put a poll up that said, what do you think the finish tonight will be? I mean, it didn't use that language, but they gave you an opportunity for it to be pinfall submission or disqualification. And I thought that was sort of interesting, but 
you know, as, as you and I are recording this on Monday night, I'm going to say the same thing I did when fans were upset Friday night, let the story play out. You know, I, I found a lot of times when I'm upset about something in wrestling that if I give it a little time, uh, the answer will be revealed. And then, you know, maybe I can be pissed off later. Maybe I don't know what later looks like, but what we do know is that we're going way, way back 10 years. In fact, so if you're mad about what happened at hell in a cell, 2009, <laughs> well, go ahead and be mad. It's October 4th Prudential center right there in Newark, New Jersey, a sellout crowd here, 16,186 fans. Uh, 13,000 of those were paying over 800 grand at the gate. That's going to do 283,000 pay-per-view buys. This is big money at the gate and on pay-per-view. And it's just 10 years ago. And of course we, uh, recently covered bad blood 97, the first hell in the cell. Uh, this particular show is going to feature all three brands. That's right. Raw, SmackDown, and ECW. Uh, but before we talk about the show, let's talk about what's going on sort of behind the scenes. Meltzer would report in late September that Bret Hart has been in talks with WWE about doing some business, which plays a part in uh, wanting to refresh the whole Montreal thing in case he agrees to come in. Meltzer would say, I think talks started when Vicky Guerrero gave notice. There's nothing on the table as far as expecting something happening immediately or anything agreed to, but he has been open to the idea of returning as a weekly storyline character for the first time since 1997. There have been talks for years and in this direction. And in 2006, Vince told the writing team that he and Bret Hart were going to do a street fight on pay-per-view, but Bret at the time was saying he wasn't going to wrestle and it never happened. I think that was the deal where Michaels formed the tag team with God. But the original plan was Michaels and Brett against Vince and Shane. And they were more confident than ever that Brett would do it, but he wouldn't. So before we talk about what may be happening here behind the scenes with Brett Hart and nine, I'd never really heard this. Do you remember hearing the original plan in 2006? Wasn't Shawn Michaels and God, but Shawn Michaels and Brett Hart. Uh, I remember, look, anytime you have the ability to put Sean and Brett together, book them together. You did it because there were that, they were that good at what, the, and their chemistry with each other was, uh, uh, nothing short of extraordinary. So, uh, you, you'd always look for that. That'd be the, the match. I always thought the money to be honest with you was in a, uh, heated up heel, Mr. McMahon and Brett and something that would take less than 10 minutes. And it would be basically kicking and punching like a brawl street fight, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it based on the skill sets, you're not going to have this bloodbath or this, uh, this blow off and have arm bars. So, uh, that would be a salvation for those two guys, not for Brett. Cause he could work with anybody, but it helped Vince have a better performance. But I, I never believed, even with all that said, Conrad, I never thought that Brett was, I thought Brett was done. And, uh, I just didn't, it seemed like his passion, uh, was adversely affected for many things by, by many things. And, and, and some of them were extremely far beyond his control. So I just never, I never thought he was coming back. And so, you know, he, he never, he, and all, and for all practical intent and purposes, he didn't, but, uh, there was money. I think there were Vince and Brett and some sort of, uh, you know, blow off type brawl. On September 16th, you're in attendance at the UFC fight night and the UFC commentator at the time, Mike Goldberg took his headsets off to come over and talk to you. 
Uh, had you always been a big UFC fan and man, what an interesting time that was where once upon a time, Vince's potential replacement for good old Jr. took a <laughs> chance to come say hello. What do you remember about this? Well, I remember he was a big fan, very complimentary, uh, and had, was very well aware of my work and in our crazy world, which I appreciated. He says nice things, uh, classy guy. Uh, I, you know, I, he, he would have fit what Vince wanted until, but you know, then Vince is going to say, well, he's too tall. It, it's just, you know, it's never ends, never ends. So, uh, but he, he's a nice fellow, he's a professional guy. And, and, uh, I enjoyed chatting with him and we have a very good mutual friend in Mark Ratner, the former head of the Nevada state athletic commission. Now the, as a, uh, administrator administrator for USC, dear friend of mine. And, uh, former college football official and just does a lot of great things. One of the best men I've ever met in sports is Mark Ratner, no doubt. So that was our, we had a little, 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 uh, a bridge there between us and connected us. So nice guy, but yeah, I didn't have any, you know, you'd look back at look forward and where he was the, the guy that was had, that was earmarked to be my, my replacement, uh, shows what kind of small world we live in overall. And it shows you that one of the reasons you don't piss up somebody while you're moving up the ladders, because you're going to see them when you come down and it never fails. It's exactly the way it happens in life. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't think a lot about it. I, I, when it happened with, I didn't have any animosity toward Mike Goldberg when, uh, WWE was offering him big money to sign. Uh, but that was Mark Ratner's also involved in that decision. He advised, uh, Mike that. He would never be well received by the audience. He always be looked at as an outcast, and to some degree, he would have. That's like you know that was like uh, I used to tell people how lucky I was going to WCW because I did not have to follow solely. Gordon, there was a, there was a, there were announcers between Gordon and myself, uh, and chronologically, so I didn't have to be the guy that replaced Gordon solely. I couldn't have done that anyway. He was the best in my view. So. Uh, and Shivani and David Crockett got to do that and other, and others, but it wasn't an easy gig. So anyway, it's, a. I, I had a, I had a, I had a good time with, uh, Mike and I've seen him a few times since, you know, he's always been friendly, polite, good dude. Let's talk about the UFC because they're all over the news here. Of course, most folks remember in 2009 is when they had the famous UFC 100 show that exceeded all expectations on pay-per-view with Brock Lesnar in the main event. And the COO of WWE at the time, Donna Goldsmith is doing an investor conference call in New York. And, uh, lots of folks are asking questions about WWE's pay-per-view buys being down. And they want to know if UFC is now the competition because they've been doing so well on pay-per-view and she is while saying they're not really competition and, and mm. always taking the stance that it's different. She does say, yeah, that's so that. stupid. That's she, just really so. It's to, to think, to have the audacity and I, and Donna Goldsmith was a, I never had any issues with Donna whatsoever. She's a very bright lady, made herself, uh, millions of dollars working there and, and cashed out and moved on smart, smart lady. But the, and I'm sure that some of her directives from Vince were to never admit this, or here's how we're going to position this, but it was just, it, it made no sense. Of course, if we're both trying to sell pay-per-views. And we're both trying to sell pay-per-views in the same month, especially. And if we're trying to sell pay-per-views on the same weekend, you're damn right. It's a competition because there's only so many, there's only so much 
disposable income, Conrad, as you well know, being a successful business entrepreneur, there's only so much to go around, man, disposable income. That's what we work our asses off to, con- to accumulate more so we can, ha- we can have more disposable income. But, uh, Donna was, uh, Donna was, uh, I'm just following orders. I'm thinking, but it was so, it was insulting to the, to an educated person. Well, it is a fascinating look because obviously everybody in WWE is talking about UFC right now. And lots of folks want to know if there is any crossover and she's even going to say, she's not sure if UFC is a fad, but she's going to be very careful to say that, you know, their, their model is different and they don't have the television opportunities that WWE does. And it's just interesting to sort of look at how these companies have, have grown over time. And somebody else who's growing at this time is your old broadcast partner, Jerry Lawler. He's running to be the mayor of Memphis, which again, uh, again, I can't believe that this is a real thing. Lawler's saying, I know, even if he wins on October 15th, uh, and Meltzer would say, and right now it appears he doesn't have a chance. He won't be giving up the raw job. Originally he said that if he wanted, have to give it up. His odds don't look good as he was, uh, invited. He wasn't even invited to the mayoral debate because the polls only showed him getting 2% of the vote. So he'd be in sixth place. Uh, chat me up. Do you think this was always just a publicity stunt or did he at least second go around? Think he had a real chance of being the mayor. I think the, uh, second incarnation, he thought he had a legitimate chance of being the, uh, the vote that's I'm not a politician. I can write these wrongs. I can, you know, I can get this ship sailing smoothly again. I can bring positive, uh, attention to Memphis from a tourism and marketing standpoint, create more opportunities, more jobs, that kind of thing through that one, particularly that one endeavor. Uh, and I think he truly believed that he had a chance to become the mayor. And I think here's the thing, being the mayor in Jerry's world to me, and I might be wrong about this. I'm not speaking for him. This is not something he told me and I'm repeating, but it seems to me like, uh, being the mayor of your hometown and having the, the primo seats at the Grizzly games and, uh, being able to go to the, to the local Memphis, now, not that he can now, but, you know, being recognized at the local baseball games and the sporting events, he's, he could be a great ambassador for Memphis. You have anybody that comes to town, any sports, uh, uh outfit that comes to town is going to want to interview the mayor, Jerry, the King Lawler. How could he pass that up? So all of a sudden he's talking and he's, he's getting his, the message of Beale street and the barbecue and the blues and all this good stuff out to the masses. But I think that as the poll started to indicate I could see Jerry losing his enthusiasm and I can understand why I would have lost my enthusiasm about on that, uh, on that mission long before he did, but it was just, it was a uh, frustrating for him. Uh, but. I think he really would have loved to have been the mayor of his hometown and, and he could, like I said, he could have helped in those ways we outlined and, but it, the reality of it started setting in. And at that point, he kind of be mostly uninvested in the, in the gig to the standpoint that maybe it lessens the blow. I don't know. I can see it being that I could take that route for myself, quite frankly. And Jared, I think a lot of the same, a lot of stuff. So, uh, he, I think he was serious about it, Conrad, but. At some point, you got to, the old saying goes, you got to fish or cut bait. And he cut bait and he got, he took some of the focus off of the seriousness of being the mayor. And I remember making mayor jokes on 
him making mirror jokes on uh, TV and kind of kind of have some fun with it. So, uh, but I uh, he was to be mayor of Memphis would have been a big big thing because Elvis wasn't the mayor of Memphis, Jerry Lee Lewis wasn't the mayor of Memphis, Jerry the King Lawler would have been mayor of Memphis. Big deal. Well, and you got to wonder, you know, if if Lawler was mayor of Memphis, I mean, he would have had to have changed some things in his personal life too. Like I'm sure. Let's talk about. Somebody else who was notorious for manscaping, the former Jim Helwig, now known as warrior. He filed for suit against uh, WWE oh. for their self-destruction of ultimate warrior DVD. And it ends a week prior to this when a judge in superior court in Arizona throws it out. The lawsuit was filed like four years prior to this. And it wasn't a slander lawsuit because much of what was said in the documentary would be considered fair comment. But it was filed because Warrior claimed WWE had violated a settlement agreement in 2000. Uh, and the concept here being both sides had agreed to publicly uh, avoid disparaging each other. And the judge is going to say the Warrior had no case on those grounds because he had made public disparaging marks about WWE before the DVD came out. And Warrior acknowledged the loss in court on his website saying, quote, there are no guarantees in litigation, none. Of course, when you pursue these things, you want things to turn in your favor. So does the other side. Uh, supposedly Warrior spent, um, a lot of time on this and he thought he was going to come out on the other side because once upon a time he got $900,000 in a settlement for the prior case. And this time, uh, instead of just having to pay his attorney's bills, he's got to pay WWE's as well. So it's 19 grand on the WWE tab that warrior has to pick up. What do you remember about the, uh, the, the lawsuit over the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior DVD? I just remember that, uh, uh, in general, Jim Hillwig was a giant Andre, the giant size pain in the ass. And you know, you hate to, you know, here, I like this part. You hate to speak ill of the dead. Then why did you Jr? Okay. I'm just trying to learn how to express myself. Kids. He was a pain in the ass to deal with high maintenance. Didn't trust anybody. Uh, I don't know how much respect he had for uh, a lot of people that were not like him. Uh, I, I just, he was never high on my list of, I didn't ever want to do business with him. Uh, you know, he, he came in in the mid nineties there, uh, with that WrestleMania date. That was a, that was like an act of God to get that handled. It's just too hard for play fighting and being produced in a fictional segment. It's just too goddamn hard. Uh, and he didn't want to cooperate. He knew more about this than everybody else seemingly. And, you know, Vince was always fascinated with the ultimate warrior character and his look and his charisma, his explosiveness. They got this and his production team got warrior over. So, uh, you know, and, 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 but he was just a, he warrior thought he got himself over. And so what would it have been? Well, he had great pyro. He had great colors. He had, you know, all the art artistry and the, and his presentation was cool. He didn't do that. So, and it sure as hell wasn't his wrestling that got him over. He did two or three things. And some of those were half-ass. So I'm going on this tirade about the ultimate warrior. I don't mean to, but people need to know, you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't a great guy. And I'm glad that he got to go in the hall of fame. 
I certainly believe he was he was uh, uh, was uh, worthy. And I'm sad that it ha he passed away so quickly after that. But at least he got one more moment in the sun in the, in the sun, and which is good for a guy like that. He's an entertainer. He thrived on that attention, and it fed his ego, like so many we see in sports and in entertainment today. Yeah, the money is one thing, but once you get a taste of the big money, you only get, you only can make so much in the standpoint of where you, you're going to be okay tomorrow. But man, he was, uh, he was, he was a classic uh, pain in the ass. And again, I hate to talk bad of him, but I did. So I apologize to those I may offended. Let's talk about, uh, the guest host situation on raw. You guys are trying this where there's a new host every single week. And it's uh, sort of a celebrity host and on September 28th. The go home episode of raw before this pay-per-view we're covering the guest host is Reverend Al Sharpton. And he's going to do a few different skits. One where, uh, Santino pretends that, uh, he's Don King and later thinks he's shaft. He does a closing skit with the Bella twins where he's going to sing and dance for a few seconds. And after the show, uh, I, I guess he was maybe getting some criticism and he's going to release a statement to Newsday saying that he had spoken with the chairman, Vince McMahon about past exploitation of racial stereotyping in WWE and their storylines. You mean like new day? And, and he was assured that WWE had corrected these existing issues. And, um, there would be another statement that says Reverend Al Sharpton has spoken to Vince McMahon who assured him that they have corrected and will discontinue any racial denigration, which I just find to be, I don't know. Interesting is explain to me how this comes to be. And I mean, obviously if Sharpton was going to come in, he, he wanted to put some sort of statement like this out. That makes sense, I suppose. But whose idea was it to pitch Sharpton and did Vince know that making such a deal would mean that he's going to have to admit that, well, once upon a time, we profited from racial stereotypes in professional wrestling. Hey man, let me give you a little life hack just in time for mother's day and father's day. I'm talking about paintyourlife.com. That's the place where you can get a gift that mom or dad will never forget real quick. Do you remember what you got mom or dad last year for mother's day or father's day? Well, here's how you give a gift that they'll never forget. You find something that's meaningful, something that's personal. Maybe we're talking about their mom or dad. Who's no longer here. Maybe it's about a long lost relative. Maybe it's about their favorite pet. Who's no longer with us. Maybe there was always this dream that mom and dad were going to vacation to some exotic tropical Island, but they never quite made it there. Well, all of those dreams can become reality at paintyourlife.com. You simply upload those photos. You can even use a photo right out of your phone. They can even help you combine photos to create one unique memory. You'll pick the artist. You'll even pick the medium. Hey, do you want an oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even pick the frame. The whole process is less than five minutes to get started. You can get it in as little as two weeks, but along the way you work hand in hand to ensure that the artist is nailing it. They're getting exactly what you wanted and you're going to get that reaction you wanted for mom or dad. I'm telling you, this has been a home run for me. I've used it for my mom, for my dad, for my father-in-law, for my cousin, for my wife. It's great for any occasion, but with mother's day and father's day right around the corner, how do we show the people who gave us everything that we really care? I don't think you can beat a meaningful gift like this from paintyourlife.com. And if you're looking to give the best and most meaningful gift you've ever given, 
painterlife.com can hook you up and there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word Ross to 87204. That's Ross to 87204. Text R-O-S-S to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Sure did. And that wasn't invented in Vince's territory or under his uh, watchful eye. That, uh, that philosophy had been refined many generations prior to Vince McMahon even thinking about being in a wrestling business or alive. You know, I'm sitting in a meeting one time with the cowboy Bill Watts, and the guy Watts has got a tell he wants to move, and he happens to be African American, and and the guy says, uh, uh, you know, well, no, we we don't, I can't use him, Bill. We already got one. One minute he's got one black. That's all he's going to have in his territory. Right. And it was just, it was it's sobering and chilling to hear that, because it just really was major. It's unsettling, man, and bad. And Bill just shook his head and, you know, cause he had to get on the speakerphone. I was learning it. It's like me going to class. I'm taking notes and all this stuff and, uh, listening. It's great for my career and my, where I am now, but, uh, it was a uh, tough, it's tough for a cowboy to keep peace in the Valley. Bill had a black booker and a black top baby face and Ernie Ladd and junkyard dog respectively. And he got, he got shit on that. I, I remember him telling one time. A, a promoter that, uh, I love, I got one color, I have one color in my mind. Of course, you know what you're going to say green. The only color I give a shit about is green, not black and white green. And I'm, and these guys are, are producing the green. What about that's all I care, care about. What about Vince here though? Did you, I mean, tell me what you remember about this situation with Vince and Sharp. Well, well, I don't, the Sharpton thing, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure it was a crazy, it either came through, there are various departments within the WWE that were soliciting, uh, people, uh, to come on as the, uh, guest host. For example, Neil Lowry, who's still there, works in music, uh, with their, all, all their music, all phases of music, as I understand it, and has done a good job there for a long time. Uh, so Neil would not be aware that they're looking for guest hosts. So if he ran into a singer or somebody with some, some chops that happened to also be a wrestling fan or just want to be on the show and have some fun, then he would bring those ideas or those suggestions to the creative group, including of course hit first and foremost events. So, uh, but that, that's how they solicit those people. So I'm not sure what office it came from, what, what department it came from, uh, but obviously it, it, it's uh, Reverend Al still clickbait. Reverend Al does something. You're going to, what, what's Reverend Al do this time? Right. He's, he's a bigger than life personality. He's a pop culture guy. 
I, he's a reverend of what church? Does anybody know? I have no clue and I don't care. It's none of my business. But he's Reverend Al of, of church to be determined or fill in the blank or whatever. Google it. I don't know. So he's, but Reverend Al is over as a pop culture person. And, you know, so that's, he'll get a click for you. He'll get some attention. They'll turn, I made you look. That's all it is. I made you look. And what you hope is that you make them watch. Well, the next week they're going to try a different approach. We're going to go from Al Sharpton to Ben Roethlisberger, the, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. Now let's keep it moving here. We should mention the, uh, Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. It's got all three brands on it. Uh, so WWE was right in the middle of this brand extension and Chris Jericho had some interesting comments on this concept before the pay-per-view. He says, I think it was a better idea than it is now. There was a lot more talent when they did the brand brand extension. You could actually split the rosters in two, create some competition for ourselves, especially after WCW went under. Sometimes I wonder if we should still do that with the talent roster, the way it is with a lot of the younger guys, it's a good idea to give them a chance to shine. But for me, the right, right way right now, especially working raw and SmackDown, it shows that some guys should do both shows because we need diversity on both. And Meltzer would say to me, stopping the brand extension would be a terrible idea because it would retard the progress of so many wrestlers getting over because the same guys would dominate both shows. Uh, Dave suggests that maybe they should tweak it like what they've done with the tag titles. What did you think of the brand split here? You know, this is obviously always going to be a hot topic. Some say you should have all the big stars on all the shows. Others say, well, you don't really have a chance to build for the future. You need to establish some younger talent. Where does good old Jr. fall on that idea in 2009? Uh, big picture wise, you got to continue the brand separation. Uh, I think we shot ourselves in the, in our, our feet, uh, more than one occasion, uh, in this whole process, because, uh, we did, as Jericho said, the, the talents are always going to say that we need to be able to intermingle because that way, uh, we can make sure we put our best foot forward, so to speak on every show and all the top stars are going to be appearing. What it, what it also means is that it gives me the star like Chris Jericho was and is, uh, a, a better foothold to be a viable part of both shows, which increases my value. So everybody's got a motive and this, and there's an argument to be made for all of it, quite frankly. Uh, but yeah, the, it, the business has got to commit to developing young talents and the, the commitment includes taking that, that to the wall, taking, going all the way with something that I didn't see coming and with somebody that has the ability to become a star. And, uh, I don't see much of that going on now, but if you cut down the, uh, if you cut back Conrad on the, on the brand separation, you really screwed yourself because what Jericho said and you read there was exactly right. Meltzer or whatever said that the, the, there'll be certain people that will, will hog all the spots and therefore they're, they're controlling the growth of your company. So now you got talent, certain talents that are controlling the growth of your company instead of the administrators controlling the growth of your company. But more importantly than that, the fans controlling the growth of your company because they like what you're doing. And it comes back to that every single time. Let's keep it moving here. And let's talk about, um, 
Linda McMahon. She's in the, the newsletter here because her campaign has already spent a million bucks on television or newspaper advertising for her political aspirations. And Meltzer would say most of her opponents don't even have a million dollar war chest to run for the seat. And that is the one advantage she possesses. He would continue. The Republican party is concerned right now that she may be able to beat Rob Simmons, who they believe to be the best candidate and thus weaken the party's chances against Christopher Dodd feeling because of wrestling. She's a sitting duck in the big election. I'm not approved said Sean Williams, a Republican from Watertown, Connecticut to the New York times. There are going to be people who will make it a clear case against her and that she has built her business by objectifying women and promoting violence. And that will significantly weaken her ability to win against Dodd and McMahon tells the newspaper that, um, had been excesses in WWE programming once upon a time, but the PG rating now alerts parents that some guidance is suggested quote. Did anyone in Sacramento expect Arnold Schwarzenegger to show up in a Terminator outfit? She said it borders on silliness. So the, uh, her running was obviously a hot topic in all the dirt sheets and amongst wrestling fans, but it had to be one of the most talked about things in the office. What do you remember about her running here and so much money being devoted to it? And were you concerned or were there concerns in the office that some of this was going to have an effect on creative? Uh, I don't think we were thinking that it was going, there was, it was going to have a uh, adverse effect on creative. Uh, it, it could have, maybe it did. I'm not sure it, it shouldn't have. I can tell you that, uh, but that was kind of, that was really run separately from what we were doing wrestling wise. Cause I was embedded about as deep as one can be joined to hip events, reporting directly to him. Uh, you know, he, the way this company got restructured for long, for a good while there was Vince had two, uh, two primary direct reports. And that was Kevin Dunn and myself. So, uh, I was deeply involved. I was up to my waist in this stuff. But I didn't come across a lot of Linda issues at all uh, in my role. It did not affect the talent. It not, it's the town ask about it or, hey, JR, what do you think about Linda running for office or something? You know, I always believed that Linda would be a great uh, politician and a great uh, public servant, more specifically. And there are too many professional politicians and uh, not enough public servants in, in the office today, in my view. And, but I thought I saw her as that person and, uh, you know, it's too bad. It was a pro wrestling bias that got her ass kicked. Simple. It's simple. And, and people, folks that listen to this show had to put up with it. They know what I'm talking about. You put up with this shit every single day in some shape, form or fashion. When somebody finds out in any, uh, any way inadvertently or not that you're a wrestling fan or you have anything to do with pro wrestling, they, they automatically categorize you in a specific and certain way. And it's bullshit. So it's, it's a form of fat shaming for lack of a better term. And I reluctant to use that, but, uh, you know, I, I think Linda got the pro wrestling business, uh, killed her on the elections. And then, you know, then, but she finally, she got a shot at, I think she was, what she in charge Connor in the small business administration. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, she got a, she got a taste of it and she's still involved. And, and so I, I, I appreciate the fact that 
somebody that has all her money that isn't just owning an island and hanging. Cause that's kind of what my fat ass would be doing, to be honest with you. Uh, and, but she's still trying to, she keeps her money out there. She puts her money where her mouth is. She supports the candidates. She's a big Trump a supporter, good, bad, or indifferent. Not my call, but she puts her money where her mouth is. And I appreciate people like that. That's, that means they are committed. And she is a very committed, honest lady. Uh, what did you, uh, I mean, did you have any conversations with Vince about her running? Did he have any concerns? Do you remember him indicating one way or another, if he thought she had a serious chance to, uh, to win? I did talk to him because I wanted him to tell me what I needed to be prepared for, uh, in, as, as it relates to our talent. And, uh, he was, he was, uh, honest and you know, Hey, look, it's a long shot. We both knew the wrestling business was a kiss of death. It just was. And a lot of wrestling people, diehards, lifelong fans, Connor, like you and me, we don't want to sometimes talk about this matter in these terms that people look at us like we're goddamn, uh, you know, circus people. But you know what I mean? Seriously. It's just, she's a, I could put a hex on me. Uh, I am flying a lot these days, folks. Take it easy. All good luck going on my way. Uh, you can Connor, can you understand? Can you believe this? My, my car service to take me to the airport Tuesday morning, uh, is at three 30 AM. No, I can't believe that's a real thing. That's a real thing. I got a 5 a.m. departure from OKC to Dallas, then a Dallas 45-minute hour uh, layover to fly to Boston. And that's on Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday. Okay. Well, let's get you to bed. Let's keep it going. Let's talk about Hill in a Cell. But before we do, let's talk about you asking for the day off. Uh, this actually made the newsletter. Jim Ross asked for the night off on October 13th. That's SmackDown taping in Lexington due to a family function. And this is going to, let's let's just get to cut the chase in this deal. October 13th. My anniversary was October 12th. And I wanted to be away for a few days on my anniversary. That's all that was. It was a family. That's not reporting. That's just. You know, what, what's the deal? I don't know how they got that information, but nonetheless, I didn't call someone and say, Hey, look, I wanted the day off and I got screwed. So put something in the dirt sheet that gives me empathy. Well, maybe here's what I'm mentioning here, because Meltzer would say, as as noted many times, JR's contract expires very shortly toward the end of the year. And as our last word, he had not yet signed a new deal. Whenever his prior contracts had expired, they'd gone down to the wire. And once he even signed a short-term extension after a contract ended before a long-term deal was inked, replacing it, it's been noted that he's happy to stay. And if they want to call it a day, he would be fine with that as well. I hope WWE realizes if he doesn't sign with Taz and Foley and TNA, he would almost surely be courted. And there's a good chance he'd wind up there. I think they also realized with his side business projects, like his restaurant, not to mention his wanting to be with a major league group. That if he had his choice, he'd probably want to stay with WWE since the travel is probably the same. I only recall Ross asking for a day off in however many decades he's been announcing, which was for an Oklahoma bowl game several years back. 
Of course, he was denied the day off because announcers never get the day off. So <laughs> yeah, there's a lot written about here, that, a lot to unpack, I guess. You know, you mentioned that it was your anniversary. It is rare that you're asking for a day off. That is uncharacteristic of you. Um, but the note that they always let it get down to the wire, and you and I have talked about that before here on the show, but I love the little tease of Taz and Foley would probably try to campaign for you at TNA. And I don't know that we've ever talked about this, but the rumor and innuendo is at least mm. once upon a time, you had some conversations with TNA specifically with Dixie Carter. When did those happen? Would that have been in this era or was that another time? I'm trying to think, uh, I think it was after that. I think it was after this, but I did have a, uh, uh, I did have a, a meeting with Dixie and her family, actually her entire family, her brother, her, her sister-in-law, her mom, her dad, her children, her husband, and me at their ranch in, uh, Texas. And, uh, they picked me up here in Norman at a, on a, on a jet, their jet. And flew me down the flight was 20 minutes, two Oh, 20 minutes. And, uh, I spent the day and, and most of the evening with them. And I found that I had a phenomenal, truly, uh, really Conrad, a phenomenal relationship right off the bat with Bob Carter. I could see myself working for him, but we can never get past the hump of if you want me to cook the dinner, I got to be able to buy the groceries. In other words, if my ass is on the line for improving ratings and revenue in general, then you've got to let me do that. And if I can't do this, like I told him, I, I remember clear as day saying, Bob, what would Jerry Jones do if he hired Bill Parcells and Parcells didn't win? He'll fire his ass. That's what I expect you to do to me. If I don't succeed, that's what you should do. Replace me. And he kind of liked that. I said, but I got to, if I'm going to be held solely accountable on how well we do financially, and I'm not able to facilitate all the financial assets that we can, we can lay our hands on to make this happen. Then you can't hold me wholly responsible. I want total responsibility. So, uh, that never, that was the issue. You know, I want to come in and say, if I want this guy gone, this you're gone, you're gone, you're, you know, whatever I do, but you wouldn't be done that way, but you know what I'm saying? So, but that never got that, that, and they brought, they flew me back home that night. I had a great time. I remember Dixie and I went on a, uh, like a four wheeler deal, looking at all the deer. They had raised these trophy deer. Uh, so that was good. I, and I, and I look, I still, I still communicate with Dixie this very day. I like her. I like their family. You know, we're Southern people. You know how that Conrad, you know, how that goes, man. Oh yeah. Well, I did a little research briefly since, you know, we've been recording and everything I look at looks like it does point to 2009 is when this meeting want to happen sometime in late 2009. So maybe not exactly right here, but at some yeah. point between October, November, December, uh, chat me up. Who would No, it was, it was in the spring of the year. What's that big holiday in the spring Memorial day. It was a Memorial day weekend in maybe 2009. And I was contractually 
in a kind of a tentative situation? Are they going to offer me another contract? Or am I going to be turned out to pasture? Because, you know, the fact was is that once I had my third bout of Bell's palsy, the, the writing was on the wall that the WWE would do what they needed to do in a legal and ethical sense to replace me. Uh, a TV announcer that's jolly Southern and can't smile, ain't got no place on my TV. So, uh, that's kind of where we were there. And I, and I understood that. And that's something that's sobering, but you got to understand sometimes our hands that were dealt aren't the goddamn best hands folks. And so you got the option of laying on your ass in a fetal, laying down in a fetal position or, or standing up like an adult or a man or a woman and goddamn taking positive steps forward. That's all you can do. And I made that. That's the choice I've made. So in any event, uh, I, uh, I, I, I enjoyed the Carters, but I, they didn't want to give me total control and I didn't want total control of every facet of the business, but I had to have total control over the talents available to me and how I utilize those talents and who I'd let go and who I brought in within the parameters of the budget and are, is there, Oh, there's not a budget. Well, maybe we should create that. That might help some of our issues. But like I said, I, I still talk to Dixie and, uh, I'm going to Nashville soon to a, uh, do some media for AEW. We've got a big show coming to Nashville. Hey, who, uh, who would have helped line up the, uh, the meeting with TNT would that have been Taz or Foley or who would have put in a good word for you down there? Oh gosh. Uh, Keith Mitchell would have, cause he's the head of production. I got you. He's our guy now, uh, at AEW. Very talented guy, underrated. You don't get the publicity that Kevin Dunn does or some of those cats, but Keith's really, really, really good at what he does. And, uh, he has a good crew. It's uh, when you find out, here's what you find out when you do these things, folks, the executive producer that's in charge of all your production, uh, like Keith Mitchell is for us at AEW, he's like the booker. He's got his own little territory. He's got his own group. He got, he's got, he's got his own crew. So, uh, you know, he knows who the, he knows the handheld operators he wants to utilize. He knows the audio guy he wants to utilize or, or whatever, all these specific roles over all the years of, you know, Keith Mitchell is the only executive producer in the history of WCW. They only had one guy and then he went to TNA. He was there for years. Uh, and, uh, has always been stayed busy. So he's, I, I, when I talked to Tony Khan, uh, Keith Mitchell was one of the two names that I mentioned that if I were Tony, I would, it, I would strongly consider hiring. And one was Keith Mitchell and the other was Raphael Morphy. They're just very, very good at what they do. And they have a passion and a product knowledge of pro wrestling that you just can't go out and find. Well, we found a way to uh, get to hell in a cell 2009. There's one dark match here on this show. It's Matt Hardy getting a win over Mike Knox in six minutes with a twist of fate. And once the show gets started, we've got the world title on first. It'll be the undertaker and CM Punk. 
sort of give you the backstory at breaking point undertaker and CM Punk wrestled in a submission match and undertaker made punk submit with the hell's gate submission hold and the SmackDown general manager, Teddy long declared that that hold had been banned a long time ago by Vicky Guerrero and restarted the match. Uh, later punk locked on the Anacon device and despite undertaker, never submitting punk was declared the winner when referee Scott Armstrong called for the bell. On the September 18th episode of SmackDown, Undertaker would kidnap Teddy Long inside his limousine and uh, released from a casket a week later. A startled Teddy Long would announce a reversal on the Hell's Gate ban and a rematch is going to take place at Hell in a Cell. And here we are. And these guys don't get a ton of time 10 minutes and 24 seconds for the world title. Undertaker is going to beat CM Punk here to become the new champ. And Meltzer would comment that he looks like he's dropped some weight, looks a little smaller in the upper body. Uh, and he gives the match two and a half stars. Uh, as you can imagine, choke slam, tombstone, there's your finish. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Undertaker CM Punk? Obviously, they had that famous WrestleMania match. This Southern, te- Southern tells me, Conrad, that Undertaker was not 100%. Uh, his, the description of what Meltzer sees here, which I'm sure is accurate in that respect, that Undertaker's upper body looked like he was not as big or as thick or as defined or whatever uh, as he normally is would indicate to me that his workouts for whatever reasons that there could be, there could be many of them, uh, were not real active. So that could have been something that could, so he could have been protecting an injury, which is what I suggest it might be. Cause here's the thing. We, here's the deal we know about undertaker. You're never, ever going to get less than hundred percent from him. He's always going to go balls to the wall. He ain't phoning shit in. He is your middle linebacker. He's a guy you want in the middle of your goddamn defense, challenging somebody to assault him. Just try me, please try me. That's taker. So, uh, I, I gotta believe there's something was up there in that regard, but the, I remember that whole night was, a. there was a big, big, see the, the deal was I, I don't have a philosophical issue of, of the great match going on first on a pay-per-view. I talked, told, I told my Eddie Guerrero story here ad nauseum that I had to talk him off the ledge when he had to open the pay-per-view. And so I told him why he was opening the pay-per-view and it was predetermined. It wasn't by accident. It was thought out and here's why. Now, can you live up to our challenge of stealing the show and not allowing anything else that follows you, which by the way is everything. Uh, and 
you know, and you're willing to, you're willing to go out there and put this kind of match on nothing follows Eddie Guerrero. Oh, he got it. It, it, it resonated with him. He was, he, he, he hugged me. He cried. We it was a wonderful cause it was a truth folks. You got to work the workers. Just tell the truth. So that's what we did there. And, and it worked out very well. So, uh, but that match, we talked about that match of Taker and Punk going on the last, which I was a favorite, a fan of, but I was on the, as they say, when, and again, my worst, my worst thing to think about Conrad, I was on that one. I was on the wrong side of the aisle. Next up, we've got, uh, this is a match we'll probably be seeing again soon. John Morrison and Dolph Ziggler for the intercontinental title. John Morrison comes in as the champ. And he's going to retain. They're going to go 15 minutes and 41 seconds. Meltzer Duggett gave it three and a quarter stars. And he says the reason this match was pulled from breaking point is they didn't want to beat Ziggler three times straight. And they had been wanting to put the title on him, but they also didn't want Morrison to lose so soon after winning it. So the idea was move it to the next pay-per-view and do the title change, but still Morrison won anyway. Meltzer would say the crowd was dead early, which was probably because they were following a world title change with the undertaker. Uh, but he thought it was a pretty good match. Uh, these guys are, uh, workhorses makes sense mm-hmm. that they're in there for the intercontinental title. Uh, obviously John Morrison in the news again, lots of rumor and innuendo that he's back with WWE. what do you think yep. of this match? These are two, uh, I, I love both those guys. I really do. I, I, if I had a territory, if I was Tony Khan or Vince McMahon, uh, I would be happy to have either, either and both, preferably both guys, Morrison and Ziggler on my roster. Uh, I cannot tell you or begin to tell you or outline the hideous booking that Dolph Ziggler has encountered over his career in WWE. If you go back and look at it with any diligence, the chronological accuracy of, of his career at WWE, you will begin to shake your head and you will say, as I have, how is he still even remotely relevant? The only answer to that is the fact that Dolph Ziggler is a supreme athlete. And if given the opportunity to become the star that his ability said he could do, we would be talking about him in the same, uh, sacred tones. We talk about a Shawn Michaels athletically charismatic, but he never was given the, he never got the oomph from the company to put him over the top to where, look, we're not going to do this for you for now. We're doing this for you forever. Talents need to know that as far as we're concerned, you're our guy. The only thing that's going to screw this up of you being our guy is you. So, uh, and Ziggler was the guy and it's just a shame that he has not been booked better than he has, but, uh, I would pay as a AEW guy. Anytime I can see a, uh, Morrison Ziggler program that made sense over multiple weeks of episodic television, count me in. Next up a five-star classic. It's Mickey James and Alicia Fox for the Divas title five minutes and 20 seconds. The fans are not fair to this one. The crowd's going to treat it like it's a bathroom break, but they have a good match. In fact, Meltzer says this is the best match he'd ever seen Alicia wrestle at this point. He gave it two and a quarter stars. 
which uh, for a Divas match in this era was pretty strong. Uh, it's a shame that we're maybe a few years behind the curve of coming around on women's wrestling because this one was actually pretty good. What do you think, Jr? Yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Conrad. It was very good in that respect. It overachieved. I think it's one way we might honestly put it. Uh, you know, I think Mickey James is as good as any. You know, I, my favorite, the women that I had had a hand in hiring. There were so many great ones, but you think about some of the early days because they had to break ground. They had to fight their way through clutter and adversion and, and the negativity of being a female. They couldn't change their gender folks. They had to deal with it. So how do you deal with it? Well, you persevere and you break through the clutter and uh, a woman like Mickey James has done that. She's sexy. She's athletic. She's a great entertainer. Uh, so what, what else you need on your checklist there? And Alicia Fox has always to me, Conrad, been one of the most underrated, uh, females on the entire WWE roster and has been for a long, long time. Why do you think She's, that is? Uh, you, know, you know, I don't, you know, obviously, you know, it's our natural inclination. Well, is, is she too tall? No. Oh, she, does she don't have a good body. No, she's got charisma. She, uh, how's her face? Her face. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The only thing it might be is something that's off the radar. That isn't any of our business that may be affecting her on a private side or personal side. And I don't know that, but if you just look at what you see in the eight by 10 and on the highlight reel, I like her game and she could be a lot bigger part of it. Her personality is massive. You know, you're, and you're sort that's of, that's what you can't, you can't, you can't manufacture that. You're tiptoeing around the fact that the, uh, rumors got out last year, earlier this year, that she may or may not have had some problems with alcohol and yeah, uh, there, there you go. Uh, yeah. Was that an issue when you were there? Do you remember any, any alcohol <laughs> problems with Alicia when you were there? No, uh, we had maybe one little incident that had to be addressed, but nothing, uh, over the top, nothing that was unusual. Uh, but it could be that, you know, uh, remember Conrad, we talked about when people say, well, Jerry, what's the number one trait you look for into a talent when you recruit them right. back in the day, reliability, right? Right. I got to rely on your ass. Well, if, if a talent inadvertently allows something outside interest like drinking or drugs or anything negative and or illegal in, uh, into, into their world. Uh, then, uh, then that's a cardinal sin. And it's unfortunate that that, ha that happens. And it's a damn, that red badge of courage. You got to carry with you forever. And it's really not fair. It really isn't fair, but it is the way it is. Let's talk about what's next. We've got Batista returning to the WWE after a torn bicep and, uh, his tag team partner, uh, Ray Mysterio jr. He is going to be returning from a 30 day suspension. He violated the WWE's wellness policy and in an interview with a Mexican newspaper, Mysterio said he was suspended for using a drug for his knee and arm, but it is a drug that he had a prescription for, but he was unable to produce it in time to prevent the <laughs> suspension because he had been on vacation and doing a promotional tour. What do you remember about Batista tearing a muscle, which was uh, not that uncommon in this era and, and uh, Mysterio failing a uh, wellness test. Yeah. Well, 
it's a it's an un, it's an unflattering part of our little journey here, folks. Some things you just had to deal with. Uh, this was not a blue chew situation, but the match is quite the match. It gets three and a half stars. Of course, Batista and Rey Mysterio, maybe an interesting tag team to say the least. They're going to take on Jarrah show, which is Chris Jericho and big show. Chris Jericho. I hear that, that name. I, 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 I detest that Jerry show. Give me a break. Kiss my dimpled Oklahoma ass. Are you kidding me? Hey, that's a t-shirt right there. Conrad. I Kiss think. my dimpled Oklahoma ass. No matter. I, 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 I got to sell all those this week at the fair. <laughs> Nonetheless, I think of these great ideas after the fact, I thought Jerry's show was like, come on, we, we could be better. We're the WWE. We should be better than that. Uh, but some liked it. And so it got passed through the process. Uh, Batista and Ray always had great, uh, chemistry. I don't know why it's just one of those natural things. So I'm not surprised that this tag match, and if you folks go back and watch it, you'll, you'll like, you'll agree was much better than, than some thought it should be. It was, it was a, it was a success. And this match, I gotta tell you, I really dug, I, I think this, uh, normally I like traditional tag teams, but what a pairing you got four hall of famers here working as tag teams, yeah. a very interesting match. I always love. Uh, the, the interesting matchups you get with a super big guy and a super small guy like Ray Mysterio and big show. This is probably the most underrated match on the show to me. Uh, and next up we've got the world title, the WWE title, rather it's John Cena defending against Randy Orton, something that we've probably talked about and watched and seen. And look, and look where it's positioned. Look where it was positioned. This started a trend here that I don't perceive to be a healthy trend because if I'm booking a pay-per-view the, the WWE title is closing the show, right? If my booking team and my creative team aren't talented enough to create scenarios to where my, my hallmark championship title symbol, whatever, uh, is not featured. Then I'm getting people that will understand my concept. We can't do m- too much to enhance and shine the WWE title which is why I thought it was a gross mistake to have a WWE title champion and a universal champion. It's bullshit. WWE needs, they need two titles like that. Uh, like I, I need a third ear and that's unnecessary. The next match, as you said, for the world title or the WWE title is scheduled because at SummerSlam Orton had retained the title by intentionally getting DQ'd. Vince McMahon announces a rematch at breaking point in an I quit match, which John Cena wins the following night. Orton gets a rematch <laughs> when the guest host, Trish Stratus sets up a hell in the cell match. So here we are. The crowd is very clearly pro Orton and, uh, they're going to go back and forth. It's a long match, 21 minutes, 24 seconds. And Randy Orton gets the win becoming WWE champion for the sixth time. And, uh, these guys have been peanut butter and jelly going all the way back to their OVW days. Why do you mm-hmm. think Vince loved the Randy Orton, John Cena feud so much? Because we saw it for over a decade. Uh, I, I don't know the exact reason I would suggest for me, it would be a uh, chemistry. They were, I could rely on them to, to produce a great attraction that gave the fans on paper, buying on pay-per-view 
the confidence that they have made a good buying decision. Uh, they just had it together. You know, they were that one magical class that we recruited back in our, our days in the, uh, talent relations program, which featured Orton and Cena and Brock and Batista and Shel Benjamin, uh, among others. Uh, so I don't know, uh, you know, they just had, they had it, they, they got along well, they trusted each other. They're both very athletic and highly motivated. Uh, they both had healthy egos. They both are great students of the game. You can't cram that enough into our minds, into our, into our process of information that being a student of the game is a huge part of being successful in the game. And both those guys were, and, uh, you know, they were just a joy to be around. Cena was, Randy was kind of the long shot in that scenario, quite frankly, because, you know, at that time. When I went to Vince, I was going to hire Randy and, you know, Vince uh, background, I said, well, you know, he just left the Marines. I think it was, and, and it wasn't a healthy leave. There wasn't an amicable leaving. And so Vince didn't like that, I guess, because he one time was a, he should have liked it because he, he got disciplined in military school. So what the hell, you know, you make mistakes. And I said, Vince, he's a, he's a kid and he's going to make mistakes and probably make mistakes with us, but. If you saw him and you knew what he looked like, and I, as I do, you know, you're going to sign him. He's what we want. So, uh, that's how that Randy thing came about. But Cena was the more golden boy because he wasn't as controversial, uh, outside the surroundings of the arena as our, our boy Randy was, who I love. I still love him. Those guys like that, man, are great for the locker room because they're not predictable. They make you think they make you invest. And, uh, if Randy Orton's not the greatest star in WWE today, uh, somebody needs to show me who is, and I can counter that and say, if I'm booking Randy Orton, I'll show you what we could do here. It's commitment to him. And for whatever reason, it still seems like WWE at times, Conrad is reluctant to put Randy Orton over the moon. And I think that's a missed opportunity. Meltzer thinks it's a missed opportunity to have Drew McIntyre and our truth come on next. He thinks maybe, you know, that the, they're in a, a bad spot because they're coming off such a, 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 a huge title change and a, a big stipulation match, like a hell in a cell. This is kind of the death spot. And usually in this era, it was preserved for the women's match, but here it's Drew McIntyre getting a win over our truth in four minutes and 38 seconds with a double arm DDT. Uh, Meltzer says that, uh, with all the push that he's been getting on SmackDown, he shouldn't have had his first big match be put in a position to fail star and a quarter. What's fascinating about this to me is this is 10 years ago and it still feels like drew McIntyre is one of the young stars who could be a big deal. And that was mm -hmm. the story 10 years ago. Exactly. Exactly. That's embarrassing. Go back and do a tally as you just done 10 years ago. Drew McIntyre is still trying to get recognized, trying to get some sort of momentum with an upward trajectory. And he is 10 years ago. He pins our truth in four minutes and 38 seconds, uh, with the, with the double arm DDT solid maintenance. But now we see the same thing. Uh, in my view, WWE had an opportunity 
at one point within the last 12 or 14 months for Drew McIntyre to seamlessly move right into the uh, WWE title picture. Be the guy. The big rugged-ass heel everybody comes to beat. And somehow by hook or crook, he outsmarts them, outpowers them, and all this stuff. And certainly his success will then, in time, bring him to be a great baby face. So now you got this Superman-like 6'5 baby face who talks funny in the eyes of many uh, Americans uh, in the Scottish accent. He's unique. He's different. But now you're still trying to get him over, same as you were 10 years ago. I don't get that. Let's talk about what's next. Uh, we know that, uh, this is the match that everybody's talking about the main event, but before we get there, how interesting is it that it's Kofi Kingston winning a three-way to retain the U S title over the Miz and Jack Swagger, two of these guys heavy in the news this past week, two stars. Uh, let's, before we talk about this match, I don't even know that you have anything you want to mention. Uh, do you want to, uh, talk about Jack Swagger? debuting at the end of AEW. sorry, Jack Hager debuting at the end of yeah. AEW last week or Kofi Kingston and his, uh, title reign coming to an end on the first SmackDown on Fox afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Well, the, the first one is uh, regards Kofi's loss and a heartbeat. Uh, the old theory, and I never have really understood it, but I, I can kind of get it. And I've heard this since the seventies folks, when I first got in the wrestling business in 74, uh, when I, when a when a star would go out and lose in such a shocking, unbelievable fashion that it was acceptable. I can't tell you exactly why. Maybe it was a nice argument to make to a talent that's doing the honors. We're going to beat you in 10 seconds, but it's not going to kill you type argument. Uh, because it looked as it was a fluke. So guys that are great workers that could do that 10 or 12 second job. Uh, if you will, uh, or, or they were the best on the roster because they can make anything work. So that's kind of how that deal was. I, I didn't. I understood the old school logic. I thought that it was a little too quick for me that Kofi should have been given something instead of running right into death and Lesnar was the executioner. So I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, like that, that aspect of it. And what was the other part of it, Conrad? Uh, Jack, Jack. Oh, Jack. Oh yeah. I mean, Joe, what's Jake Hager now? His real name is Jake Hager. It's from Danny Hodges hometown in Perry, Oklahoma, three-time All-American at OU, all the WWE stuff, former WWE champion. He's undefeated in Bellator. Uh, you know, I knew that we were romancing and he was one of the guys on my short list that I recommended to Tony Khan and to Cody to, to bring aboard. Uh, you know, he's a family man now and he's got two sons and he's got a healthy marriage and he's got a, a good second career where he's, he's training. 
his cardio is always going to be amazing. He looks great. He's lean. He's a real deal, folks. He's a real deal. So if we can do a good job of packaging Jake Hager and, and uh, all of us involved, the announcers, the marketing people, uh, the, the, all, everybody behind the scenes, we have an opportunity to make Jake Hager a very special entity within, w, uh, within AEW. So uh, I, I, I think it's a great hire. And I love the way that they introduced him. He made an impact. You will always remember the first time that you saw Jake Hager in AEW. I know I will. So I look, I'm anxious to see what they're going to do with him going forward. But he's, he's a, he's a piece of talent that, ha, that offers size. And I kid the guys that they're at AEW about the fact we need some linemen. We need some big dudes. Not all of them, not, but we need some cause they, they work well with the, with the smaller guys. There is a very visible story being told there without saying a word. When you say a, a smaller dude fight a bigger guy. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that Jake is here and, and now onward and upward. And of course we're going to find out this Wednesday night. I guess we've already found it out. Uh, those of you that- that's right. We found out last night, Jim, come on, get with the yeah, program. Yeah, right, right. I know. Let's talk well, about I, the, uh, the main event here from hell in a cell 2009. What a match this is too. We've got DX on one side legacy on the other. And of course it's all in hell in a cell as a reminder, triple H and uh, Shawn Michaels reformed DX at SummerSlam and they defeated legacy, which we recently talked about here on the show, but their feud would continue. And it's later announced there's going to be a rematch here. And this time it's inside the hell in the cell structure. As a reminder, DX is Shawn Michaels and triple H and legacy is Ted DiBiase and Cody Rhodes. And given the climate that we're in 10 years later, it is kind of interesting that triple H and Cody Rhodes are in a hell in a cell. They're going to go 18 minutes and two seconds. Uh, Meltzer really dug this one. He gave it three and three quarter stars. Um, we should mention that triple H is going to be here. He's got bolt cutters. Um, he's going to try to do a run in and make the save on his buddy, Sean Michaels. And he's going to get a spine buster on Cody onto the chair. He's going to go to pedigree in, but DiBiase makes the save. Triple H is going to hit DiBiase with a chain and then lay him out with a pedigree on the floor. And triple H locks Cody out and, uh, or, or locks, uh, uh, DiBiase out and that leaves Cody alone with both of them. He's destroyed. They put the chair around his throat. Sean comes off the top with an elbow drop. Triple H pulls out the sledgehammer. The finish sees Sean Michaels super kick Rhodes at the same time. The triple H was using a sledgehammer spot and mercifully they pin him. Jesus Christ almighty. Then he took out a derringer <laughs> and blew his brains out. And then he stuff his, his spear up his ass. And then. He made him sell some more and got color from his feet. God almighty. Yeah. After the match, uh, with the door back open, they get DiBiase in the ring. Michael super kicks him and Meltzer would say total destruction finish. I mean, blow off city while not airing on the pay-per-view. They wound up taking Rhodes out on a stretcher. All real good. As far as the story for the faces to go over and they're moving on and challenging for the tag titles. I just wish the company would protect the rising stars as much as the stars who are already over, who don't need any protection. They'd have well, a lot. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, obviously, Conrad, that 
Meltzer's uh, evaluation of Rhodes and DiBiase uh, was differed immensely from the uh, uh, hierarchy of WWE uh, and their vision of the two teams. They saw everything in Sean and Hunter. And why wouldn't you, but not ignorantly at the cost of two great young talents? That comes down to ego and politics. And that what side of the aisle are you on, brother? Such bullshit. It's so childish. It's like children playing with Monopoly money and, you know, you know dad's liquor cabinet or something. It's just, it's, it's sad that's how the business can be at times. Because that that's just lazy-ass booking. That's not being a real smart guy. He could be a genius. He could be Eddie Graham level, Cowboy Bill Watts level. Come on. It's common sense. What do you think of uh, the destruction of Cody Rhodes here at 24 years old? Well, somebody want to get a message through to him that whatever the hard on was with the Rhodes family and, and WWE, no matter all the lit service people have done and so forth. I know that dusty is a beloved figure in, uh, WWE from, for many very righteous and accurate reasons. Uh, but I also know that. Uh, Dusty was treated like shit a lot. And, uh, and so you can say, well, that's a retaliation or some of the promos that Dusty did directed toward, uh, Hogan or WWF at the time or whatever. Hey, whatever your story is now we're getting way deep into this stuff. But the bottom line is that, uh, you know, they, the WWE missed the boat on, on Cody. He, he was not, he did not size up to his dad. It's the same debate we had about Dustin that Vince wanted to come up with a character that would be outlandish and, and over the top. And, and, and so gold dust is born and Dustin, the, to his credit, took ownership of his, that character and it became him. And therefore it worked because it wasn't, uh, him playing a character. He became the character as crazy and as bizarre as it may sound. What do you make of the, uh, the Rhodes McMahon issue? You know, I mean, going back to when dusty first came in to work for Vince and they put him in polka dots, most people, uh, would say that, Hey, that was just Vince trying to, to rib dusty. And he wasn't supposed to get over. He was trying to humiliate him and he took it another step where instead of giving him, uh, you know, a classic valet, instead they gave him. Uh, Miss Sapphire, who was really a fan at the time. And that continued, as you said, with gold dust and the crazy character that he did. And perhaps he had a little more fun dressing Cody up as uh stardust. And mm-hmm. Cody has come out and said that, no, it's his fault. He takes responsibility that he didn't do more in WWE and maybe he didn't have the right frame of mind at the time, but what say you, do you think there is underneath what we hear and what we see, there is some sort of, uh, underlying issue with Vince and the, and the Rhodes family. There might be, I, I, I can't believe it would be there quite honestly, because it justifies everything that Vince has stood for and has been around and raised around a mentored, 
uh, all influence, so forth and so on. Uh, and that is to use any asset on your roster that will sell tickets and, and uh, i.e. draw money. You use them, no matter what your 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 convictions are, whether they're male or female, or, or what their race may be, or whatever. But the bottom line was to put the best show on that you can and sell the most tickets. So that's kind of where uh, I see that, uh, Conrad. It's just, uh, you know, we're in a, it's a, it's a really, and, and now it's, it's kind of starting to come back around to where fans seem to enjoy storylines that are, has some semblance of truth attached to them. Do you see that? Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's sort of got a theory and, and, uh, it's just, you know, it's another layer to this war that is AEW and WWE, even though some people say it's not a war, it does start to feel like it when you see some of the back and forth. And- oh, oh, let me tell you this about the, about the war thing. Okay. Uh, and it, uh, guys should believe what they want to believe. And the media have got a story here. That's one of the best stories, a new story. It's ongoing. It's weekly new, new, new input every week, new material every week, because there's a new show from NXT and from AEW on Wednesday nights, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but for me, uh, I'm worried about three 30 on a Tuesday morning. I'm worried about getting up and getting my fat ass in a car to fly to Dallas, then to connect wait, then fly to Boston. And then I get there and get checked in, hoping with no issues, get my ride from the airport to the hotel is good. And then when I get to the hotel, my room is copacetic, nothing fancy is clean, nice one bed. I'm cool. Uh, and then get my fat ass back to Oklahoma on Thursday. So I can go watch the Oklahoma, Texas game on Saturday. So there's my war. My war is with TSA and travel and weather. And all that stuff, but I understand the deal, but for us to think AEW to think that we're even in the same league to fight and compete at this point in week two for us is absurd. We're just going to keep doing great television. Everything else follows. Everything else follows success and, uh, and success is derived from having a kick-ass balls to the wall television show every Wednesday night at eight o'clock, seven central. Well, we're excited about next week. And of course we're talking about next Thursday at 6 AM on your ride to work right here on Westwood one. It's another grilling Jr. And we'll be talking about taboo Tuesday, an interesting concept from 2004 where the fans get to vote for the matches. This is the very first time they did this and on top. It's Randy Orton and Ric Flair, where the fans get to pick the stipulation and they pick a steel cage match. And it's quite the match underneath that for the world title. We've got triple H and Shawn Michaels, Christy Hemi's going to be working with Carmella in a lingerie pillow fight hey, hey, hey. sponsored by blue Chew. Uh, Chris Benoit <laughs> and edge are going to take on law resistance. Eugene is going to wrestle Eric Bischoff and choose the loser's fate. We've also got a weapon of choice match with Gene Snitsky. It's not my fault. And Kane, uh, Trish Stratus is going to take on Molly Holly in a fulfill your fantasy battle Royal. And, uh, Shelton Benjamin is going to be in there with Chris Jericho for the intercontinental title. This is going to an interesting conversation on deck here, uh, because you've got 
a new idea. It's a Tuesday pay-per-view. It's not a Sunday pay-per-view and the fans are in charge. We'll talk about what was real. What wasn't how the idea came to be. Was it ahead of its time or was it a misfire? Uh, the following week, we're going to cover in your house, buried alive, 1996. Then we'll kick you a little WCW and NWA action on Halloween for Halloween havoc, 1989. We'll start November off with hashtag ask JR anything. And we've got a really strong November on the 14th. We've got clash of the champions nine, which is the New York knockout with the I quit match between Ric Flair and Terry Funk. One of the best matches you'll ever see November 21st survivor series 95. And then great friend of the show, Jerry Lawler in a profile piece on November 28th. Lots coming your way. We would love to have you leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned one, tell a friend, hit the subscribe button. It's free. And, uh, don't forget to go ahead and follow us on Twitter at JR grilling. That's at JR grilling. You can support the show fast and easy by coming to see us in Nashville on November 13th at supershowlive.com. And, and, and bring chicken. Will you folks help a brother out here? Bring Patty chicken. Bees, there you go. Hot chicken. Hot chicken. That's all Conrad. And I don't ask for a lot. We're just two big old fat boys. The Southern boys. We like fried food. Uh, you know, we'd like to talk about eating fried food. We're talking about cooking fried food. That's kind of our deal. So. We'll see you in Nashville. And after a two hour live show, like we're going to do and dragging Tony's ass over there too. You know, one of the great things Conrad about our debut in Washington, DC weeks or so ago was the, the smile on Tony Schiavone's face when we were done. Yeah. Not because he was, uh, relieved that we pulled it off but because he was just so damn happy that he's back in the game. And, uh, I just felt so terrific about how much Tony enjoyed his return. And, uh, you know, the fact that the three of us had ever worked a live show together, you know, we know we're going to, we, we got to get better. We're going to get better, but boy, for the first time out, I really thought that, uh, Tony and Excalibur. Uh, brought their A games and, and it's just that trio, I think is going to have a chance. It's got a chance now. It's not guaranteed that we can be really, really, uh, significant, uh, and, and, uh, sooner than later. Check it out. AEW every Wednesday night on TNT. And, uh, don't forget to tell your friends about grilling JR every Thursday at 6 AM. Come see Tony JR and myself, November 13th in Nashville, supershowlive.com. Pick up a shirt right now at jimrossshirts.com and we'll see you next week right here in time for taboo tuesday next thursday and every thursday at 6 a.m only here on westwood one grilling jr john brings his skewed sense of humor jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.